You're listening to WVEWLP 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's Community Radio, also streaming online at WVEW.org. This is the Vermont for Mystery Hour, a show exploring the Green Mountain State's strange past and present through stories that pique your curiosity and make your neck prickle. Beat the Sunday Scaries with me every weekend, broadcasting Sundays at 7 p.m., or catch the rebroadcast on Thursday nights. The opinions expressed on the Vermont for Mystery Hour are those of the host and guests and don't necessarily reflect those of WVEW 107.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the Vermont Ver Mystery Hour. I'm your host, Meg McIntyre. I hope you've been enjoying these last couple days of nice weather after all the rain we've been having recently. Before we get started with today's show, I just wanted to drop in and say thank you to everyone who has listened or recommended the show so far. This episode marks the halfway point of my second season, and I'm so glad you all are enjoying the stories. I also wanted to remind you that I'm always open to suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes or books and movies to review in my weekly review segment. You can always get in touch with me at vermystery at gmail.com, and I'd love to hear from you, so please don't be shy. After the break, I'll be speaking with Vermont journalist Jackie O'Brien, whose recent podcast, Buried in Snow, examines the 2015 unsolved murder of 24-year-old mother Denise Hart. We'll be right back. This is Edward Bordas, Executive Director of Garden Path Elder Living, a proud underwriter of WVEW. Caring for your family as our own. With two licensed residential care homes in Brattleboro, Garden Path Elder Living has provided exceptional service to elders for more than 125 years. Holton Home has been a nonprofit, mission driven organization since 1892 and Bradley House since 1964. You can reach us at 802-254-5524 or visit our website at www.gardenpathelderliving.org. In January 2015, 24-year-old Denise Hart told her family she was heading up to Rutland, Vermont to visit some friends. She made the trip from where they lived in Hartford, Connecticut relatively often, and although she didn't tell her family much about what she did when she was there, she always made sure to call, especially to check on her three-year-old son. So when Denise didn't call and stopped answering her phone on January 25th, her mother, Deidre Robinson, started to worry especially because there was a bad snowstorm that weekend. She called someone was like, oh, my daughter's up there. She's missing. She's from Connecticut. And they were like, well, she's from Connecticut. You have to call your local police, which doesn't make any sense. That's Jackie O'Brien, 
a recent journalism graduate and Shelburne native who spent the past year investigating what happened to Denise. She spoke with Denise's family, including her mother Deidre and her brother Cedric, and created a podcast about the case called Buried in Snow. Deidre went to the Hartford police, only to be told that they couldn't do anything and she had to get in touch with the police up north. So someone at the Hartford department called the chief in Rutland, who said a rookie must have made a mistake when they talked with Deidre. An official missing persons report wasn't filed until two full days later, and Denise's family felt like police weren't taking her disappearance as seriously as they were. So as soon as the snow cleared, Denise's brothers and uncle went up to Rutland themselves to see what they could find out. They basically talked to people around town and got us information about people she knew, what she was doing that weekend, phone numbers, emails. I gave all the phone numbers and all that and emailed it to Rutland PD, who hadn't been doing anything. All that information was from the family. So then that's uh, January 31st after the family had sent that email, like two hours after they sent that email to Rutland PD, um, Vermont State Police opened a case. From the family's point of view, it's like basically we kept bugging them and they were like, fine, we do have to open a case. Her family found out that Denise had been planning to stay at the Brandon Motor Lodge in Brandon, Vermont, while she was in the area. But she apparently called a friend, Josh Prezo, who offered to let her stay with him instead. So she drove to his place in Sudbury in a borrowed Pontiac Grand Am. Josh told Denise's family that she'd left on the night of January 25th to meet someone, and when she didn't come back, he assumed she'd headed home, as it wasn't unusual for her to take off unexpectedly. But her family found it strange that she would leave behind so many of her things. She had gone out in slippers and left her shoes at Josh's house, along with some money, some weed, and a few other belongings. The next day, on January 26th, the car she'd been driving was found engulfed in flames near the Cornwall-Salisbury-covered bridge. Her family wouldn't find out about the car for some time, though, and over the next year, limited communication from the police department seemed to develop into a pattern. Denise's mother, Deidre, felt she had to push and push just to get answers to her simplest questions. It's very hurtful. You know, after my, you know, and everything that I went through, everything, 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 from the day that she went missing up until now, they made me feel like I was a bother. Like, if I was the call right now, I'll get the word around. I, I will definitely get the word around. So by the time Denise's body was found off the side of a road in Goshen, Vermont, nearly a year later, in December 2015, roughly 15 miles from where she'd last been seen, her family had begun to lose hope that the perpetrator would be identified. An autopsy ruled her death a homicide, and at that point, the only detective who had consistently taken Deidre's calls, Julie Scribner, was taken off the case because it was no longer a missing persons investigation. It's now been more than six years since Denise went missing, and no charges have been filed in her murder. Her family believes police didn't make the case a priority because of the fact that Denise was a black woman. I felt this way for a long time. I always felt that it was the cult. You know, and that's not right because regardless of what my skin color, I believe the same way the next person believes. 
sort of bleeds the same way the next person bleeds. But you best to believe if my daughter wasn't that color, that a lot more would have been done. During the course of her reporting, Jackie also discovered that Denise's visits to the Rutland area were for the purpose of selling drugs, a piece of information that was never reported publicly at the time and that the police wouldn't confirm for her. According to Josh Prezot, that's how he and Denise knew each other. He was a client of hers. Josh was their main suspect. I know for a long time they just focused on him. They were like interrogating him all the time and and he ended up going to like rehab during that time and he came out and took a polygraph test they were like okay never mind they tried to get him to go undercover once he got out of rehab they were like go undercover for us at drug dealers houses josh refused to ruin his sobriety by becoming an informant but he thinks that if police had publicly said denise was selling drugs and made it clear that any potential witnesses wouldn't be charged for their drug use someone in the local community might have come forward Jackie wonders if the stigma around drug addiction is another aspect of what kept Denise's case in the shadows. To her family and friends, Denise was so much more than someone who sold drugs. She was studying to be a parole officer and was incredibly devoted to her three-year-old son. She enjoyed swimming and bowling, was an accomplished cook, and loved to dance. And she never hesitated to lend a helping hand to those she loved. My daughter was a people person. Don't get me wrong. Denise had her little, her, her little mean ways. But for the most part, Denise was a sweet person. Like, if you needed help and she had it, you got it. She was just a beautiful soul. Like, real beautiful. She was a beautiful soul. She didn't like bullies. Like, she wasn't a bully. She didn't like bullies. She was a, a great mother to her son. Here's Denise's brother, Cedric. She's a beautiful soul, but she was a firecracker at the same time. <laughs> she was always there, you know, whenever anything needed to be done. When she had her son, his world, you know, anything that he wanted, anything that he needed, she made sure that he got for him. She always looked out for other people. She was that type of loving person. Denise's family is still waiting for answers about what happened to her. And Jackie tried to get access to the police reports in her file, but because the investigation is still open, Vermont public records laws allow the police to keep the case file confidential. So we know very little about what progress has been made in the time since her disappearance. Doing this case made me realize, like, there's no way to, there is no way to fact check whether police are doing their job in a murder investigation. If it's open, you're just kind of at their discretion. And that was something that I think a lot of the other media stories, I realized that all their information was from press releases and like from the police with a very just trusting, whatever the police say is right. When Jackie interviewed detectives in the Vermont State Police Major Crime Unit about Denise's case, they balked at her questions about potential bias or racism in the department. They also said they couldn't share details about the areas they searched or who they spoke to during the investigation. And while Jackie doesn't necessarily blame the individual officers who've worked on the case, she says we need to think more critically about our systems and institutions and the ways they harm people who aren't white. 
I know in Vermont, it's very easy for white people to not think about race and not think it's a problem. I think we live in this like utopia, but it's honestly the opposite. Like once you start looking into it, once you start reading things and studies, you realize that Vermont is actually like the perfect place for white supremacists. According to U.S. Census estimates from 2019, Vermont's population is roughly 93% white, making it one of the whitest states in the nation. And so far in 2021, the Anti-Defamation League has received 16 reports of white supremacist propaganda being distributed in different areas of the state. In 2020, the organization received more than 150 such reports, in addition to several reports of anti-Semitic vandalism or harassment. And the Southern Poverty Law Center has identified at least one hate group, the white nationalist organization Patriot Front, that was active in Vermont that year. And there's certainly evidence that Vermont police don't always treat white and non-white residents the same way. In January of this year, the University of Vermont released a traffic study analyzing data from 2014 to 2019, which found that Black and Hispanic drivers in the state are stopped, ticketed, arrested, and searched at a higher rate than white drivers. Jackie sees echoes of Denise's case in that of Ralph Jean-Marie, a Black man who disappeared from Barrie, Vermont, in April 2020. Over the past year, the lack of progress in the police investigation into his disappearance has drawn protests and calls for accountability. I don't know of any murders of white people around here that have been ignored like that. Not that I know of. And really, it's the same thing. Like, I think especially the media coverage has a big thing to do with it because I think the media can either be like a bullhorn for what the police wants to be out there and they can just get all their information from police, which is what it seems like is happening here. But your job as a journalist is not not to be a press release for the police it's to like be a watchdog and get stories outside of that talk to his family and I think you're definitely seeing a lack of that. Jackie's podcast also features interviews with experts who've studied victimology and how a victim's lifestyle affects the way their case is investigated and prosecuted. Victims involved in selling or using drugs typically have fewer resources dedicated to their cases But Jackie rejects the idea that someone's past or their mistakes should determine how worthy they are of getting justice. We've all done something illegal, probably to some extent, even if it's just like jaywalking. But like to equate something illegal being your moral apparatus, like if you do anything illegal, you're a bad person. When the reality of the fact is that our justice system is surrounded by money. And if you're rich, you don't get in trouble. (laughs) And if you're rich, you don't have to worry about selling drugs if you have familial wealth. So, you know, I think people just kind of like can judge people's lifestyle based on like their reality. I would just say, try to put yourself in, in her shoes in her mother's shoes. And, you know, realize that the opioid epidemic, it's deep. Jackie's hope that her investigation can bring renewed attention to Denise's case and encourage anyone who knows something to come forward with information about her death. It's just heartbreaking. I feel like the, the fact that they don't see, like, this woman was killed, but there's, like, so much more to it than that. The people that she left behind, what they're dealing with, and 
not knowing the truth, not knowing anything about what happened to her daughter. It's just like, every time I've talked to her, that's the thing I feel like that's like, keeps her heart breaking. It's just, nobody cares about giving her the truth. Denise Hart's family is still waiting for answers about what happened to her. If you have any information related to her case, please contact the Vermont State Police Major Crime Unit at 802-244-8781 or submit an anonymous tip online at vsp.vermont.gov slash tip submit. You can listen to Jackie's show, Buried in Snow, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be right back. During the COVID-19 pandemic, groups all over Vermont have set up mutual aid networks to ensure we stay connected and help one another with regular phone calls, shopping for groceries and essentials, and caring for pets, children, and other loved ones. If you are in need or can help others with these services, please contact your local network. In the Brattleboro area, go to BAMAVT.org. Again, B-A-M-A-V-T dot O-R-G. In Marlboro, Vermont, email Center at gmail.com. Again, Center at gmail.com or call 802-257-0801. Again, 802-257-0801. In the Putney area, email PutneyVTMutualAid at gmail.com. Again, Putney VT Mutual Aid at gmail.com. For a list of mutual aid and community organizing resources in Vermont, visit the Vermont Council on Rural Development at vtrural.org or the Wyndham Regional Commission at wyndhamregional.org. This public service announcement has been brought to you by WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Welcome back, pals. It's time once again for my weekly review segment, Murder, She Rates, where I recommend books, movies, podcasts, and more for mystery lovers. Today's selection is maybe a little bit outside of my usual thing. I'm going to be talking about the book What Alice Forgot by Leanne Moriarty. 39-year-old mother Alice Love's world is turned upside down when she takes a spill at the gym one day and knocks herself out. When she wakes up, she has no idea where she is and is astonished to discover that the year is 2009 rather than 1999, as she believed. Suddenly, she's thrust into a life she doesn't recognize with an estranged husband she'd never planned to divorce and three children she doesn't remember giving birth to. As she waits for her memories to return, Alice tries to make sense of the ways her life has changed in the decade she lost in an instant and to figure out who she's become in the meantime. Now, like I said, this book is maybe a bit different than what I would typically review for this show. There's no murder involved, or any crime in general, actually, but I think you'll like it because it is a mystery, the story of a woman trying to piece together ten years that disappeared from her memory within a fraction of a second. I think that one of the things Leanne Moriarty does best is characterization, and that strength really shines through in this novel. The book alternates between perspectives, including Alice's, her sister's, and her surrogate grandmother's, and the author does a good job of illustrating each narrator's unique point of view and showing where they're misunderstanding each other. 
At its core, this is a book about the meaning of family, both the biological kind and the chosen kind. It definitely has its sad moments, but in the end, it's a heartwarming story. Not my usual bag, I know, but I think all of us need a break from the doom and gloom once in a while, and I really enjoyed this one. Overall, I'd give What Alice Forgot 3.8 out of 5 skulls. If you've read it too, let me know what you thought at vermystery at gmail.com. That's all for today's show, folks. A big thank you to Jackie O'Brien for speaking with me about Denise Hart's case and for sharing some audio clips of her interviews with Denise's family. Another reminder, if you have any information at all that might be helpful in her case, please, please, please contact the Vermont State Police Major Crime Unit at 802-244-8781 or submit an anonymous tip online at vsp.vermont.gov slash submit. The Vermont Vermystery Hour is written, produced, and hosted by me, Meg McIntyre, with research help from Matt Bruno. Our cover art is by Jenny Stuce, and our theme music is written and performed by me and my pal Nikki Seafried. If you liked today's episode, you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts, and don't forget to leave us a rating or a review letting us know what you thought. You can also follow the Vermont Vermystery Hour on Twitter at Vermystery Pod. Let's beat those Sunday scaries, friends. <laughs>